just want to take it in for a second. I really, really love you guys. I love you very much. I told First Service I love them very much. I, I missed you tremendously. Thank you for all your prayers. Uh, God is so very good, isn't he? So very good all the time. Please open your Bibles to Second uh, Thessalonians here this morning. Second Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. And one of the ushers or elders will bring you a Bible. We need one up here. That's great. Don't worry. It's Word of God. Um, all right. So it's just a, a way as an update. I know it's been a few weeks, almost a month. Um, I uh, This last Wednesday, we had the call regarding the land. I know some of you have been praying about what's happening. So we went through the Board of Supervisors, and um, they decided to table um, the decision to this upcoming month, uh, June uh, 23rd or something like that. So I, I want to, you know, most of us could turn around and just sit there and go, what? What's that? What? I was like, praise you, Lord, you know. After I first went, what? You know, because I think we all go, what? What do you mean? Uh, I started just realizing, Lord, praise you. You've just given us a month to fast and pray. You've just given us more time to fast and pray. This is wonderful. This is beautiful, God. You're going to get all the glory for this because the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. And so I said, okay, Lord, so uh, please pray for all the board of supervisors. Pray for the township. Um, the attorney and everybody that, that goes into that. Salvation is, is what I can ask you to pray for. Salvation. Um, and uh, just God goes before us. So we, we've got a month to pray and fast. Let's, will you join me in doing that? Will you join me this month in praying and fasting? I invited uh, Pastor Ted here today. He's gonna, we're going to kind of sort of share uh, our, our teaching here. Um, Pastor Ted is uh, from life training in China. I've known him for a number of years. He's a blessed man, a brother of mine, and um, he has spent countless, I think 15 or more years in China uh, multiple times a year. Uh, Indonesia, I think, also India, uh, Vietnam, uh, many, many places all around the world, um, whether it's uh, going to underground churches and uh, encouraging brothers and sisters uh, in the flock and then brothers teaching the word of God. So he's going to share because um, today, as we look in Second Thessalonians, if you've read this passage or this book before, you know that Paul has in his heart through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage the body, the believers, corporately and individually, what? The church through their suffering, through suffering through oppression, affliction, and difficulty. And I know sometimes that's difficult to, to want to believe that God is glorified through our suffering, but that's exactly what the Word of God teaches. And we either yield to the Word of God or we yield to man's wisdom, but we must make a choice there. And so, as a way of context, if you were not with us for First Thessalonians as we were going through it, allow me just to take a few moments here, which could turn into 30 minutes. I'm just going to prepare you. You know a pastor. You know how that works. You give him a mic, and, and we're, we're off to the races. Uh, but this introduction could take a few moments. But in context, just to help you understand, because I, I think it's really important as we go, why did Paul, why was he inspired? I mean, was that enough, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to write this second epistle? Yes, absolutely. The Holy Spirit's enough. But what was going on in Thessalonica that after that first letter, they felt the need to come back to Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul, and say, but wait a minute, 
wait a minute here. Qu- question on the field. I, I, I understand that now, thank you, Paul, correcting me, we're not in the great tribulation, the definite article, but there's still tribulation going on and suffering, and what gives? I mean, please remember, this, these are real people. This is an account. This isn't a story. I, I, I despise the term story. I love the word account. This is an account of the scripture. And so if you remember during, you know, our first introduction to First Thessalonians, I, I was sharing that, you know, when we look at this in the book of Acts, I encourage you to turn, hold your finger here, turn to Acts chapter 17, verse 2, right in that area. We're going to kind of look back. What was the occasion for Paul to write this second letter? Now, we, we understood the occasion for the first because we read first. Thessalonians together. If you're with us, if you weren't, I encourage you to go up to the website and you can download or listen to the teaching or also go to the church app. Again, I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was not enough to be the purpose for Paul to write this, but please understand there were real difficulties, real suffering and struggling struggles going on to the individual and corporately within this, this church here, okay? Please remember that where was Paul before Thessalonica? He was in Philippi. You remember that? He had gone to Philippi. God had done a great work. We saw the Philippian jailer come to salvation. He was saved. But then what happened? He was basically all but what? Kicked out. Get out, right? It wasn't like stay longer. We really enjoyed your time here. It's get out. I don't know about you, but when Paul first was freed from prison, I think being transparent, my natural reaction would be to like to you know, I'm out of here. What do you mean this man's going to harm him? I'm out of here, right, in Philippi. What? But when we live for the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we count the gospel so dear that way, all the other things temporally, including our lives, begin to take second priority to the preeminence of Jesus Christ. That's what happens in the believer. It's, it's no longer about us, me, what's going on in my life, even my sufferings, the affliction and the oppression that I face, it becomes how is Jesus Christ glorified, magnified? And that's my life. That's what it is to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And, and I know we say that, but I think it's really important in these last days, because we are in the last of the last days, I think there's a sort of an accounting of the soul that we need to have. We come here this morning, we, we open our Bibles, we read the Word of God, and yes, we will get there. <laughs> we will read the Word of God, and we're going to see these things, but ultimately, we have been given choice to make a decision, much as he did 2,000 years ago when he said, come, follow me. For some, that meant, you know what, I can believe, but I'm going to keep one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. For others, that meant, I will count the cost. That which I hold so dear and precious has become vapor. Now all that is, all that exists because he lives in me, my Redeemer lives, Jesus Christ. My purpose in life is him. It's a change fundamentally. It's not a religion. It's, It's not even an ideology. The beginning is a relationship. And eternity, (laughs) eternity is the fruit of that time with Jesus, which we say we long for. We say that we believe and we desire. But so often, it's a, a strange relationship. 
a distant relationship. In Philippi, the result of his preaching, he, what? He had been in prison. He was beat, right? He was ordered out of the city. Then he obviously makes his way to Thessalonica, Acts chapter 17, verse 2. You have it in front of you before you. Uh, He goes to the synagogue for three Shabbats, three Sabbath days. You may remember we talked about that. Now, again, I've said this before. It could be longer. I want to be clear. We know that it says minimally he was there three Sunday or Saturdays that way, Shabbats, but, but it could have been longer. But we know that when he was there, he opened the scriptures. He preached Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And after the third Shabbat, the interest of the gospel of Christ, it, it grew. It became so intense that most of the city began to gather together. And it created this jealousy in these men, these Jewish men, because they were being drawn to Jesus. You see, ultimately, every one of us has the capacity to draw someone somewhere. We either draw men to ourselves, women to ourselves, or we draw them to Jesus Christ. And please don't think this 2,000 years ago. This is something that is a decision and a choice today, right now, here. Do we draw people to Jesus or have we become the authority? Is it our last word? Is it our opinion? Is it it the wisdom of man that's going to set hearts and minds free? Is it intellectualism? Is it rhetoric and reasoning? Or is it Jesus and him crucified? The first fruits of the resurrection who promised in all love to redeem our soul and spirit. I think we all know the answer to that. Well, Paul, steadfast, wasn't worried about the prison sentence, obviously makes his way to Thessalonica. Uh, as I imagine, he gets there, right? He preaches Jesus Christ. After three, you know, Shabbats that way, the Jewish leaders become so intense and angry that they're drawing men to Jesus and not to themselves, the religious leaders, which we're all too familiar with that today. In pulpits all across America, we have men standing there drawing men to themselves, drawing men to their gospel, an alternate gospel, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. But what about the definite article, gospel of Jesus Christ? Last I checked, it's the only one that can set hearts and minds free. It's the only word that never returns void. So, they come in and they want to arrest him, right? He gets word of the problem, flees Jason's house, you remember he was there, and heads towards Berea. Trouble in Berea after a few weeks, and so Paul's companion, Silas, Timothy, Stayed in Berea, and what did they do? They strengthened the brethren with Paul as he went to Athens. That was interesting, wasn't it? Paul, an intellectual. He was an intellectual, wasn't he? Started under Gamaliel, uh, Pharisee of Pharisees of the Sanhedrin, one of the top religious leaders that way. He said he counts it all done, a loss. Not that there's anything wrong with degrees or education. Certainly that's not what he's saying. He's saying that Christ is more than sufficient. His love, his grace, his mercy is always more than sufficient than anything we can, in our intellect, try to propagate, try to establish. Remember, Jesus Christ is madly in love with you, not because of what you can do for him. Remember, you're a child of God first if you're a born-again believer. The servant 
aspect of it is the privilege. But being a son or daughter of God, that was purchased by the blood of the lamb. Why? Because from the very foundations of the world, he desired to spend eternity with you. He's the eternal God. Even when we were immortal, humanity in the garden, right? We know God was eternal. Angels were immortal. Humans were immortal. We're certainly mortal now, amen? These bodies are getting old, right, huh? How about it? But I think as he's in Athens, as he's sitting there, and he sees all these statues and all this intellectual and all this rhetoric and all the things that are going on, what ends up happening? He sees a statue to the unknown God, and he, he sees the opportunity to insert and say, I know that God that you're talking about. He's Jesus Christ. And he preaches him crucified. And, and I, I imagine when we see Paul in heaven, I don't know, we'll run back the video, you know, we'll go in the heavenly archives, we'll put the DVD in or, you know, the VHS, whatever they got. Hey, look, whatever technology in heaven, we're about it. We'll put it in, we'll watch it back. We'll look at the uh, Pastor Paul and say, so was this, was this one of those moments where you really felt like, wow, there was a great work in this city? We know from reading the scriptures what? The answer to that is no. It was one of those things that I believe changed Paul to the deepest point of his core. That it wasn't about the intellectualism or reasoning, because if you can persuade someone to believe in Christ, uh, the enemy or someone else can persuade them to do what? Not believe. But I believe we all have to come to that point where we rely on not on our intellect, but through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that's more than enough. Well, while he's there, obviously, Silas, Timothy, and Paul, right? Timothy gets, Paul's going to make his way to Corinth. Timothy gets sent back to Thessalonica to encourage the brethren to find, uh, you know, how they were doing. It was a young church. Again, even if it was just three Shabbats, it's, you know, can you imagine? We see somebody, Pastor Paul, for three weeks. And when we read First Thessalonians, how about it? All that he's poured into them, eschatology, doctrine, faith. You think they went, man, I got to get lunch, you know? No. To sit under the word of God. Oh, what a privilege it is to be conformed into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. One breath, one moment, one word at a time. There's power in the word of God and it never returns void. Well, obviously he... And Silas and Luke go to Corinth. Timothy goes to Thessalonica. He hears how things are going. They have some questions. They go back. He comes up and he goes to Corinth. Paul was in Corinth, you remember, for how long? A year and a half, some 18 months. He meets up with them. And Timothy says, Paul, these are some of the things that uh, the Thessalonians were, were, were asking questions about. And he, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pens 1 Thessalonians 4 and certainly the whole epistle. But specifically four and five, because there's one particular question, many, but one particular question that they go, and it has to do with the fact that they're experiencing suffering. If you go back to chapter four, and you can look at some of the things that they, they, they have a question about, right? The, the first is the, you know, this idea of purity and pleading for that, abounding. Um, even earlier in the letter, actually chapter one, uh, if you go to verse six, it says, and we, uh, sorry, and you became followers of us, and the Lord having received the word in much, what? affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. That's chapter 1, verse 6. As I mentioned in chapter 4, we go on, and, and they said, you know, hey, we, we have a question here. 
I think we missed it because we're experiencing such tribulation and difficulty. I think we're in the great tribulation. I think we missed the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember we, we spoke about that? We, we took three Sundays out to go through and study thematically what is involved in the rapture and eschatology and, and understanding Revelation and Daniel and, and, and scriptures went through 23 or more passages because we need to understand these things. It was, it was taught. He was there three weeks, and one of the first things he had taught them, or at least clearly taught them, was eschatology, end-time events. So much so that he's so confident in his ability that when he writes this letter, in the ability of Christ, that is, if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. What is he saying to them? What's Pastor Paul saying? He says, I have spent time with you through the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I have spoken these things to you. Times and seasons that relate to what? We'll go back up a couple passages. Uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Why is he re repeating that? Because he, he goes back, if you back up even further, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. But I don't want you to be what? He didn't say, I don't want you not to answer that phone. If you got your phone, silence him. Go ahead. <laughs> right? That's not what he's saying. No, what did he say? He's saying, but I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have what? Fallen asleep, those who have passed before. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to, there's a question here. It's an understanding. We all need that. What happened? Don't be ignorant, brethren. Let me explain this very thing to you. It's all right, mama. It's going to be okay. But concerning the times and seasons, chapter 5, brethren, I have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains as a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. He's reminding them. He's encouraging them, isn't he? He's dealt with that subject. Now we get to 2 Thessalonians. But put yourself in the place. You're human. I'm human. We're real. We, we don't play church. We don't play Christian. Nobody's arrived here. We don't pretend. Nobody walks in here and has it all together. We don't. Let's just be real. We don't. What would you be thinking at that moment? You just got taught... Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul, just got done laying it down hot and tells you, you're not in the great tribulation. You didn't miss Jesus Christ coming. What do you think you're thinking at that very moment? Well, then why am I? Say it with me. Starts with an S. Suffering. Suffering. All right. Look, I didn't even need to feed you on that. Right? That's a natural reaction. Why? Because you're human and I'm human. And who's it really about? Me. Who's it really about? Come on. Us, right? We, it's carnality. You don't need any help with that. I don't need any help with that. But what's Jesus Christ? What's the word of God tell us, tell us it's really about? It's about him. It's about him. Well, I never needed help with that. I never need help to think, boy, I better make sure I eat sometime this week. Nobody has to help me with that. I, I just... But my neighbors, my community, those down the street, those part of the bread ministry, am I praying for them always? Am I thinking what my sister or my brother's going through? They're trying to make their rent payment. Maybe they can. Maybe they can't. 
Is that where my heart's at? Because I'm, I'm not focused on me. I got my eyes on Jesus and I'm seeing things the way Christ sees them. And I got a heart after that because I'm others focused and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, I'm not, I'm not browbeating anybody here. Look, I'm speaking to my heart first because I'm just being real. That's not where I'm at all the time. But I read the word of God and quickly I get there because when I read the word of God, my eyes take it taken off of me and they get put on what and who? Jesus, which is where they belong. That's where they belong. So, like any carnal human at that point, 2,000 years ago or today, they're wondering, so why are we suffering? Why are we facing this oppression and infliction? It seems like everything is not going the way we intended. You know, do you remember when you first got saved? Some of you maybe 30, 40 years ago. Some of you maybe a week ago. Remember when you first got saved? You thought in your mind's eye, this is, one, it's wonderful. It's the greatest thing. And you thought, you know what? Now everything is going to be different. And it is, because now you no longer live for you, but you live for Jesus, right? Because up to that point, you were a dead man walking. But now you're a dead man walking for Jesus, and you're alive. You're alive. But do you remember that thought of, all right, so I'm saved. What do I do now? Okay, you know, I'm going to think, pray. All right, I can do that. I'm going to read my word. Okay, I'm, I'm on board. Check, check, check. And then something happens at work or something happens in a relationship or something happens with the car or a friend or a loved one or someone gets sick and you're sitting there going, Lord, this is not part of the plan. Whose plan? Did we ever think about that for a minute? For what perspective we come at that? I know me personally. Lord, this isn't the plan. Really? Because I kind of think it's the plan. You're just not catching up. Oh, oh okay, Lord perspective. Isn't that interesting? God is so, he's so loving that he doesn't allow me to dupe myself. He's not a respecter of persons and he doesn't play to what I think I want to hear or need. He doesn't play to what I want, but he always gives me what I need. He's so good. He's so good. He's so precious. He's good. And so because of that, Paul, Timothy comes back. He says, I delivered the first letter. He says, they, they still have some questions. And it seems to be that some of their questions have to do, well, if they're not in the great tribulation and they didn't miss the coming of Christ, then why are they suffering this way? Is there anybody in here that isn't suffering or hasn't suffered in some capacity? Yeah, exactly. Every one of us. But when you experience that suffering, and I don't mean just individually, even corporately as a church, have you ever thought about that for a minute? Did you think that was strange or odd? Be honest. I know I did at first. Why is this happening? Lord, I'm, in your, I'm doing everything you've asked. I'm, I'm living the way you want me to live. Lord, why? It's a fair question, right? So I, I, can I say it this way? I think something's wrong with you if you've never asked that question. Or you're so holy that, you know, we better put out a carpet and there's some ground that we need to start worshiping where you stand. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm saying it transparently like it is. But the point is, nobody's arrived. And that's, the reality is we all are sinners and we're saved by the glory of God. We're forgiven sinners that are going to heaven. Not perfect humans that have never sinned. And so 
It's natural. Paul comes in and he's, he begins, and I'll start with 1 Thessalonians just as a, as a way of reminder. Paul, Sylvanius, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonica, in God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians, let's begin. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Sylvanius, and Timothy. Oh, that's familiar. To the church of Thessalonians, in God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. God hasn't changed. Our circumstances change. Our God never does. Amen? Grace to you in peace, a common introduction. We understand that we never truly receive perfect peace without God's love and grace to begin with. That's why the world that is entirely all about trying to receive a peace or work it out or, or whether it's materialism or, or something else they're trying to latch onto in some capacity outside of Jesus Christ will always come up void. It's a vapor. It'll always come up wanting because, you know, I did. I did. You did. We did. And in our broken and contrite heart, Jesus came to us and saved us. He redeemed us and restored us. And only then did we begin to receive that peace that only Christ can give us. It's of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us never forget the authorship. It's not even from man, and it's nothing man can lather up. It only comes from Christ Jesus and our God, our Father. And now, as we look at the rest of chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians, he turns his attention to encouraging the Thessalonians in their time of oppression and affliction. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. Did, did you catch that? Two things in particular. One, your faith. Circle that, right? We know Romans 10 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Okay. He goes on and he says, faith and love. Now, is it love of self? Did he, did he say, because you guys really have mastered how to love yourselves, now you're ready. You've arrived. No. What did he say there in verse 3? Towards each other towards each other. Christ wants us in the depths of our heart to be able to lay down our lives for one another. Can every one of us say that here this morning? That if your neighbor to your right or left, something was happening, that you would literally lay down your life at this very moment for them. That's true discipleship. Let's not mince words. Let's not water it down. Let's not call sin stuff. That's the word of the Lord. If we're not there, Jesus Christ will get us there. He who's begun the good work in us will finish that good work. But as a born-again believer, that's our aim, isn't it? That's, that's the aim. The goal and aim changed when we got saved. That's the aim. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God. Remember 1 Thessalonians, we learned that... that the church of Thessalonica, they're, they're a model church. They, he said in Macedonian in that area, if you remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he talked about how they were in a model church. You can go back and you can look, and he, he says in this whole area, the way that 
You, you are a model. You're an example. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians. So that you became an example to all in Macedonia and Acacia who believe. You're a model. Why are you a model? Because something so unique about you that is special, that is different? Or is it because you believe in Jesus Christ and are living it out individually and corporately and because your faith now, how do you measure someone's faith? Let me ask you all here. If, if I wanted to sort of come up to you, we don't have a, a technology that I can come up and sort of, uh, you know, come to you and kind of hit a button on the side of you like I would a phone to know what the battery level is to say, you know, where's your faith at? Where's your faith at? Where's your faith at? How do you know where your faith is? We know where it comes from, from God, from the word of God. But how do we know where we're at in our faith? It, it requires steps of faith, doesn't it? We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by promise and not by understanding, right? But how is that faith? You know, James, it must be tested. It must be tried. It produces something, doesn't it? Patience, long-suffering, perseverance, things like that. Yes, it does. But look what we see here. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all of what? Well, how do they, how, what do they boast? They're boasting of your patience, your faith, but how did it get exemplified or what was the way they were able to see it? It came through something specific. Please underline this in your Bible. Through persecutions, plural, not persecution like as in one time events, single, not ordinary, but persecutions. Now, please understand, this is not just an individual. This is corporately the church. As Pastor Ted's going to come up a little bit, and he's going to talk about persecution and affliction that we're seeing around the world. He could share the very same thing, and so does the Word of God. He's going to take you there. He's going to, he's going to allow you to see these things. He says, and chi, right, in the Greek. He says, and tribulations, right? Philipsis, the Greek word philipsis, tribulations. Again, plural, that you endure. That word in the Greek, endure, that is common. That's what that means. It doesn't mean it's extraordinary, it's, it's different, or, or it's in addition, or it's common. It's common. You, you should expect that as a born-again believer. As a church, as an individual, there should be suffering and tribulations. Why? Because it's a demonstration of your what? Faith when you walk through those. But not just about you. Notice that we all kind of jump there, right? It's about me again, my faith, right? I it's okay, I led you there, right? I, I sort of baited us there. But how does God see it? Is he allowing these persecutions and suffering and the affliction that we go through? Is it solely just so it produces or grows our faith? Is that the answer? Well, we need to keep reading, right? What's the word of God say? Which is manifest evidence. He goes on to explain that it's evidence that he's telling us that we can look at this. It's sort of the model and the, the uh, litmus test and, and the evidence that's produced of righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also what? Which you also don't suffer? No, my Bible says you do suffer. I suffer, right? If we had time, we'd go to Luke 21, 36. We could look back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, since we're right here, verse 14, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your who? Own what? Countrymen. 
Isn't that interesting? Just as they did from the Judeans. You mean it's not going to come from another country that's going to just persecute us and it's another cold war? You mean that the affliction and persecution that's going to come to the church and the individual is going to be possibly for around the very community that we are called to love and support and give our lives and lay down our lives? Notice that it's a neighbor, even someone that's not a born-again believer. Remember earlier I asked you to look to your left and right and would you be willingly lay down your life for your neighbor to someone in church? And many of us were kind of like, I don't know, that's pretty heavy. But the real exhortation of that is are we willing to do that for someone we don't even know, that we've never met, that there's no even, we don't even know their name. But Jesus does. Chapter 13, verse 8, from the foundations of the world. Every hair on your head, every hair on the head of all these individuals that live over to the right of us, blessed, precious people, God's creation, every one of them. Is it our heart's desire that they know Jesus and him crucified so that they would be saved? Can we lay our heads down at night and not pray for them? What about our neighborhood, our block? What if we start suffering? What if we start experiencing affliction and oppression from the very people that we're trying to help? What if it comes within the church? Not the church, but those walking, dressed like, speak Christianese-like, but don't hold to the teaching commandments and statutes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Since it is a righteous thing with God, repay with tribulation. Now, why do you think he went into this verse? Some people will teach, and that's okay. I mean, I, uh, you know, you be Bereans, but verses 6 through 9, some people will take this as a parenthetical passage within this verse. Okay, you've heard of parenthetical chapters. They'll take this area and say, okay, parentheses around this. Really, you read verse 5, and then you go to verse 10, and it's sort of picking up the conversation. And this is sort of like free information, right? It's by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, paid in full, right? But isn't it interesting that he says since? I think that word in the Greek is very important right there in verse 6. He says, since it is a righteous thing with God <laughs> to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Why do you think that the Holy Spirit had Paul write this. Because in the carnality of man, every single one of us here, when we have been wronged, what have we thought about? Maybe vengeance, maybe righteousness, maybe fairness. Let's just say fairness. I think that sounds more holy. How about that, more holy? Not, not so convicted this morning, okay. I'll begin with my heart, holy. But I think I understand what he's saying here, and I think so do you. He knows because of the carnality of man that our natural instinct is to think immediately about who? Ourselves. There it is, me. Did you ever walk through the mirror and go, I got to take a second look? Or do you naturally just, can you walk through a mirror without doing that? In your house, you, get a, you go, ladies, men, you go in the bathroom, you're brushing your teeth. Do you? No. When did, where did that wrinkle come from? I am so glad they make a cream. 
<laughs> right? Come on, you're laughing because you know. And so do I. And so do I. Aren't you glad we don't have to come in? There's a, a city of refuge. Aren't you glad we can come in here and be real and not pretend to have it all together and all figured out? Praise Jesus. He turns and he says, I know you're thinking about this because your eyes are on your brother or on the situation or the circumstance or the wrongdoing. Where aren't your eyes? On Jesus. Because there are, if your eyes are on Jesus, you're not thinking about the wrongdoing. As we read in Scripture, vengeance is the Lord's. It's not even ours. We have nothing to do with it. So why else would this be in here? Is this free information? You know, since... No, he's telling you because he knows in our hearts we have been wronged, haven't we? Does it not rain on the farmer, the, the righteous farmer and the unrighteous farmer? Do we not see it rain on the, the righteous farmer and the unrighteous farmer? Do, I would not say do bad things happen to good people because then I'd be in contradiction of Romans chapter 3, right? There are none that are good, right? So I won't say it that way. But do bad things happen to ordinary people? Can I say it this way? Do bad things happen to People that are in Christ Jesus living righteous lives? Yes. Yes. Are we surprised by that? No. If you've been saved more in a week, you're not. You've kind of arrived right there. You kind of at least understand that part, right? I understand that part because I've experienced suffering. I've experienced oppression and affliction. He goes on to say that you would repay tribulation which troubles you. Now, he connects it back, because remember he left off in verse chapters 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians? They thought they were in the middle of the what again? The great tribulation, which is why they were talking about eschatology and the timing of the Lord. He went into chapter 5 and says, I don't need to tell you the times of the seasons. And now he's coming back, and he's bringing that back into the fold for them so that they understand he's sort of tying it back. He's saying, first of all, Christian, church, it's not strange. It's not strange that it's, it's actually common, as you said in the Greek, right? Back in um, verse 4, that you endure these persecutions and tribulations. It just isn't common maybe to many Americans. But you go to other countries, you go on missions trips. There's a whole other world out there, and people live a whole different way. Three-quarters of the world live entirely different than how we live in the United States of America. We have such rich and precious uh, things here that we have been incredibly blessed. There is, uh, I, I mean, my, can, can we really, anybody in America really say, oh my, I've, you know, I mean, compared to so many third world countries and other places, oh, we have, I mean, we've, we have running water. This morning I went into my shower, I was able to turn on water. You know, I, I went to Central America. I can remember uh, when I was a mission trip there, I was in Central, I, I, where's the showers? <laughs> what? Walk to the, stream if you can find one or go to the well and oh by the way what's for breakfast sugar water what where's the cheerios man what do you mean you can always see an american coming you can always see an american coming and i'm not saying that i'm a patriot i love this country but we haven't experienced true persecution and oppression the way that so much of the world has. And friends, it's coming to a theater near you. It's coming. It's here. It's going to get worse. And I know it's a hard message to hear that because it's not what we want to hear. But Christ wants to strengthen us because he says in this life, John, right? We're reading the book of John. You will face, Jesus isn't grammatically challenged. You will face what? 
tribulation, but be of, because I have overcome the world. Is it our righteousness or is it Christ's righteousness that's been given to us? Are we holy and righteous before God the Father entering into the holy of holies? The shroud was torn. Is it because of our righteousness or because of the righteousness of our Father God? Because of Jesus Christ, his son, and the spilled blood that was poured upon us and his righteousness that's been imputed to us. We have nothing to do with it other than being willing to receive that wonderful gift that God has offered to us. That's, that's our response. That's our right response. And so doing, we want to give that gift or at least let people know of that gift that we've so been graciously presented. And that's what being others-focused is. Any other doctrine is, can I say it, from the pit of hell? Because it's a violation or contradiction to the word of God. So he goes on to say, and to give you who are troubled rest, when are we going to get this rest? He clarifies it. With us, when what? The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That should seem familiar. When's that going to happen, right? That's going to happen back again in uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You know what? We're looking at new land. We, Lord willing, we may not be here. We'll probably be in new But if you and I open those blinds and we look right across the street, guess what? It's a twinkling in the It's 200 milliseconds. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 teaches us that. But nonetheless, all those tombstones, everything you see over there during the rapture, those bodies, whoosh, What he did is he just connected it back for them. He's connecting it for us. He's showing us that the rest will come when the rapture comes. But until the rapture comes, we need to be busy about our Father's business. We need to be occupying. We need not to be uh, concerned or constrained by the suffering and the affliction and the persecution and the things that are going on around us. We not not to come that, consider that not common or not to endure that, but in spite of it, we're to continue on, not to be distracted. That's heavy, isn't it, man? That's heavy. I mean, we're here this morning, right? We're reading the word of God. This is what it says, right? This is an eisegesis. We're not reading an exo in the Greek out, pulling out. We're reading the word of God. This is what it says. How many of you signed up for that? Right? It's a required course. It's, it's not an elective. So much of the church today doesn't read the word of God anymore. You think it's a, do you think there's any curiosity that in 1960, 67, 68, that prayer and the word of God was taken out of the schools so that we can indoctrinate children with a different gospel, a gospel of man, a gospel that's centered on an atheist culture? A belief in no God, which by definition is ignorant, even the term atheist. The only way to concretely prove that is to be able to examine the entire universe to prove that there is no theist, A, negating theist. It's mind-numbing how anybody could even prescribe to that, by definition, because none of us has the capacity to examine the whole universe to make a declarative statement like that. 
It's interesting as we see a socialist and communist agenda begin to move into this country. Do you know that you will not find, uh, you may find one here or there, but generally speaking, you go to Venezuela, you go to Cuba, you go to, you won't find one communist or socialist regime that isn't atheist. Marxist was an atheist, a stout atheist. So was Stalin. Since you want to get to the masses, you get to the church. How do you get to the church? I'm paraphrasing. Supplant it with an alternate gospel. A gospel that leads them to eventually believe in a God that's contrary to the God of the universe. A God that they can worship with their hands, touch, believe. A God that's based on power of man and can exercise that control. A God that one day can end up in a temple that would be rebuilt. That man can walk in and claim to himself. His name is Antichrist. And claim to be that God. You think maybe that's, coinc that's coincidence, right? That's coincidence. Why else would we choose an economic, a social, and a theological paradigm that would revolve around an atheistic nature without God and then turn around and supplant that in our schools and our higher education universities, our institutions, indoctrinate people and turn around and wonder why we're in the place we are in the United States of America and around the world. Again, it's coming to a theater near you. Because of that, he goes on and he says, look, in flaming fire, take vengeance on those who do not know God. He says, look, at the real judgment that's going to be poured out during that tribulation, just so you understand, has everything to do with the Christ-rejecting world. Those who reject God, who do not know God, and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. Not through Antichrist, not through Satan, not through Lucifer. He says they're going to be punished by God because they rejected Christ. They rejected his word. They rejected the gospel. They rejected the truth. When he comes in that day, what day? The day of the Lord, to be glorified. He already uh, Define that for us in the first level, First Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, he defined that for us. In his saints and to be admired among those who believe, Revelation 19, when we come back with Christ, right? Because our testimony among who you, or sorry, because our testimony among you was what? Believed. Now we're starting to get close. Why is the suffering happening? Because there's something to be given through that. That suffering produces not only patience, not only love, not only attesting of your faith, not only long suffering, not only you know, this perseverance that we read other aspects of, but in ultimately the point of that tribulation and suffering is that you become a living testimony. As we read in Corinthians, you're a living epistle to be known and read by men and women. That's actually what happens when we experience suffering. It changes us. It deepens our faith. But what people see is not the depth of our faith changing. They see the outward profession of that by us glorifying God by us being steadfast, by us not rejecting Christ in spite of our circumstances, but worshiping God because of our circumstances. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. Think about that. And fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified in you. Underline that, highlight that, circle that. That testimony is to bring about the glorification, the magnification of Jesus Christ in you. How people see that and why God allows suffering is because ultimately 
when done through Christ, not done because of sin, not because of man, not because of lust and worldly affairs, but when done through Christ and because of Christ and in Christ, you know what it does? It's just like we talked about in the beginning. It doesn't draw you to another man. It draws you to Jesus. It draws you to Jesus. And when it draws you to Jesus, you can't help but beginning to thank him and bring glory and honor to his name. And it automatically creates that humility, that desire to worship in spite of our circumstances. And that answers the age-old question. Why does he allow it to reign on the righteous and unrighteous? Why? Because ultimately, through that work and through that effect, it allows glory and honor to go to the one true God. Because this is all temporal. This is all part of our plan, not his ultimate plan. His ultimate plan is you and I in eternity with him, with no more death, with no more tears, because the best in Christ is yet to come. That's what we read here. That's why it's an encouragement. Anything else wouldn't be encouraging. It's like when we were at First Thessalonians 5, and he says, tell these things to your brother, tell, that, that you may comfort one another. I, and you remember at the time, I was like, I'm not comforted about going through the great tribulation. Nothing comfort, you know, comforts me about that. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and in you and him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I, I want Pastor Ted to come up here and take the next three hours. Okay. All right. Okay. You know what? Two and a half. All right. I do realize we got to eat sometime today. I want him to come up here and share what's going on in the world, in China and and, and Vietnam and all these, India and all these, what are we seeing? And is it normal to see the persecution, the affliction and the suffering that, that we just read about here? But what about corporally in the church? Brother, will you come up and open the word for us? That's all you know how to do. Are you glad to have your pastor back? Amen. Amen. No, 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 we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've known you for 10 years. <laughs> but, but isn't it wonderful to have a place that you come where you know you can get good, solid exposition from God's Word? Set the personality aside. Set the, even the, the philosophy aside. And come and just be able to see the unadulterated Word of God and Spirit of God to speak to us in the condition of our day. Isn't it good to have that? And... Really, I, before I even start, when, when do we, really, when do we have to leave? Tell me. I have, I have till Tuesday. No, I mean, you normally finish at noon, right? Normally. Well, it won't be normal today, but it, it won't be too late. You can still beat the Baptists to the, well, there's no buffet. There's no buffets anymore. So <laughs> no, I know we all, we've all got places to go, but I do want to take the liberty of being able to share some of the things that are happening around the world. Your pastor asked me specifically to come this day um, and share because he's expounding through Second Thessalonians and Thessalonica was a model church. And part of the reason it was a model church is because they did embrace the persecution that comes corporately for standing as light in a dark place. And the world for all of history all of Christian history, the last 2,000 years, there have been places in every generation where churches have faced persecution that we don't know about, 
in terms of its depth, but they have been faithful and steadfast in it. And we need to recognize, as your pastor has said, we need to recognize that it's not abnormal. So we shouldn't look and say, what's happening in Washington and why aren't things like they used to be or whatever? And so he thought the best way that could be brought out is to have a voice rather than a magazine, which you can read with Voice of the Martyrs or somebody else, a voice that just says, this is the way it is around the world today. And let's recognize, as he says, coming to a theater near you, let's not be surprised. Let's be faithful in our calling, in our lane that we run in. But just a word for a moment, because you, all, you and I know the condition of the church at large, even in America. It is not strong, is it? The church in America, by and large, lives in a greenhouse, covered. And part of it is cultural. Part of it is the abundance that we have in our, in our lives as Americans. Praise the Lord for God's gifts. I am also am a patriot. You know, I certainly am glad to be where I am. But the, we need to recognize that there's something unique about this campus. I'm going to say this tribe that we are a part of. And it's not the name. It's the philosophy that goes behind the name, Calvary Chapel. And your pastor, who is an expounder of the word, he goes through the scriptures, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, because we believe we've been drawn, no matter what our heritage or our history has been, we are here at this place, calling this our home, because we believe the word of God is the word of God. All right? I don't, I'm not going to say it any other way. It's just simple. And if you struggle about that and say, well, what is this Bible? Why does everybody bring a Bible? Blah, 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 blah. It's because you don't understand. We believe and we acknowledge the word of God is God's word. And that's what we read to gain insight into who we are, who he is, and how we're to live our life. Amen? And we also have a DNA in our spiritual mind, in our spiritual heart, that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just some theoretical part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is personal. He dwells within us. I'm saved by grace through faith only because the Holy Spirit arrested my life. Amen? But he didn't end there. And he doesn't just live inside of me to help me clean up my act and be, live a sanctified life, which he does. But this fellowship and the heart of this fellowship is to see the Holy Spirit not simply as one who helps me to clean up my act so I look good in front of God when I finally see him. It's between now and when I do see him face to face, the Holy Spirit is not just, he's not my power, he is my guide. He is my leader. He is the one who fills me and directs me and empowers me and, and leads me into the work he wants me to do. And there are many churches, good, fine Christian people that don't emphasize that. And as a result, they're trying to do the work of the Lord in the arm of the flesh. And I'm not saying that they've fallen into sin. I'm saying that they don't live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that is absolutely critical. And it comes forward in this fellowship. I know your pastor. And you guys don't know, you really don't realize how, well, some of you probably do realize how blessed you are to have found here. Amen? Amen. And then the third thing which he can't stop talking about. I love it. It's the fact that the Lord is coming again. Recognizing that we know in theory, the first time I heard the gospel, that Jesus is coming back someday. But you can't just live like he's coming back someday and attend this fellowship because your pastor's going to make you too uncomfortable. 
to think, well, when, I'm, when I die at 80, I'll see Jesus. Well, it's not too long now, so you know, it could be very, very soon. But the reality is he could come back at any time and may come back at any time. And the reality is some generation is going to be interrupted in their plans, their normal plans. And that could be us. Why not us? Amen? That should have, that should have gotten a hallelujah. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I mean, really. And, and that, that's part of the DNA. That's part of what makes this fellowship sadly, unique in so much of the body of Christ. But we're here. And we want to be taught the Word of God. And we want to be filled with His Holy Spirit. And we want, in the midst of the challenges of living on this planet, all the challenges, including the persecution of the church corporately, we want to live in such a way that we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Amen? Amen? So, Pastor Matt asked me if I would share a little bit about, this is not a, a testimony about my ministry or what the Lord has called me to do these last 15 years, but it's kind of a, a catalyst to share from the scripture. And uh, uh, I, I just got, a, I got an email this morning from a friend of mine who has a tremendous, wonderful ministry. I feel like a partner with him. He's my hero in the faith. Uh, he's a pastor in California who stepped down from his uh, very nice, cushy position as a pastor of a Calvary Chapel in Southern California and has started being involved in more global missions. And um, he, uh, he sent me a note this morning. I'm going to read it to you because this isn't Mission Sunday, but this is understanding the condition of the church in the last days. Greetings, beloved of the Lord. I wanted to give you an update on what is going on in Burma. That's one of the countries that he, uh, that we come alongside and support. During Wednesday evening Bible study, I received a word from Pastor Elisha. That's the man, that's the, uh, the, the name of the man in Burma, which is Miramar, uh, that two young men, one of them my student from previous training, had traveled north to Mindet, that's a city, I guess, in northern Burma, to help those being persecuted heavily by the military. That goes on. And I'll talk about that in just a moment before we get into our word. They were murdered by the military. They were, they were murdered by the authorities for trying to encourage the church, which should be the best citizens in every country. Amen? We know we're not a threat but we are perceived to be one because light dispels the darkness. And he goes on to say several other things, but he said, please, please pray for their families. I showed that to Pastor Matt, and he said, you have to read that, and we have to pray. So let's pray. Father, this is just uh, one short email about one short and in some ways insignificant to us because we can't relate to it situation on another part of the world that just happened in the past days. And yet we know as we read your scriptures and as we meditate upon the truth of your scriptures that as Pastor Matt reminded us this morning in Second Thessalonians, uh, these things are common. They are, if I can use the word normal. And we who have lived in our greenhouse, in our bubble, 
Uh, we praise you for what you have done and who you are in our lives. We thank you for where you've placed us. But Lord, may we recognize in so many ways that we miss what so much of what you say your church should embrace. And so help us, Lord, to, uh, to know exactly how to handle uh, the world we live in and to live in such a way that we might bring you glory in these last days that we might shine as lights in a dark place and be the salt of the earth, even in the midst of those that might want to persecute, uh, not just us as individuals, but corporately as the family of God. We thank you, Jesus, that your promises among all things, above all things right now, you say the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so we stand as victors, Lord, doctrinally reading the scriptures and wanting to embrace that teaching, but Lord, help us to see what that looks like as we walk it out, as we consider how the church is functioning and flourishing in these last days before your return. And you said these things must be in order for you to return. And so if we cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we must take to heart and even embrace that which we've asked the Lord to do in a world that's going to be in a, con in a condition of wanting to reject and live without you. Pastor talked about 1967 and the fruit that's been born in our country. Well, Lord, it's been going on like that for 2,000 years. <laughs> Thank you that we know that you win. Yeah, amen. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, um, for 15 years I've been going to China, uh, as many as four times a year up until the COVID hit. <laughs> Uh, of course, international travel has been cut down, um, and uh, the Lord prompted me in 2007 as I had an opportunity to go to China and teach the inductive Bible study method. I was pastoring a church in Gainesville, Florida, Calvary Chapel, Gainesville, and uh, I've always taught the inductive Bible study method. How many of you have taken the inductive Bible study teaching here? Awesome. Awesome. It's, it's absolutely key for us, isn't it? If you haven't, please take advantage of that when it comes. Um, I thought that's what I would be doing, is going and trying to encourage saints around the world to learn how to teach, the, how to study the Word of God so they can teach the Word of God, so they can be fed and they can grow. And, uh, but the Lord gave me a heart for the people in China. I started to go back regularly, and so I have some observations about China, and I could make the same observations about other places I've been blessed to be able to go. God has given me a body that can travel and the ability to fall asleep almost anywhere. So if I fall asleep, throw something at me so I wake back up. Um, so he's, he's given me that privilege. Nothing special other than that's the lane God's called me to run in. But in the last five years, I've been to China many times, India, Vietnam, uh, Singapore, which is not a third world nation. We sometimes think suffering's in third world nation. Singapore is the most beautiful place on the earth if you want to live in an urban area. If you if you want to go live in a city, don't go to New York City. Go to Singapore. Yeah. You've been to Singapore. You know what I'm talking about. Been to Africa. Been to the Middle East. Uh, wherever we go, I just have some observations to make about the condition of the church that come alive in our scripture. And so these observations are that the church is thriving. Did you know there's over 100 million Christians in China? That's more than here. 
in our country, isn't it? But the true church, there is a state-run a state run church, a state-approved church that does have Christians in it. But the strength of the church in China is what we would call the underground or the house church movement, where because of affliction, because of persecution, some of it very overt with police coming and, and not only breaking up a group because they are perceived to be a threat to the government, but also taking those who are normal, ordinary believers and putting them in jail, and in some cases, it may be even putting them to death. And that's happening as a normal way of life. And I have friends that are either in jail and some that have been killed. And it's amazing to me. They're just normal folks like you and me. They're not, they're not marching. They're not, uh, they're, not, they're, not, uh, they're not terrorists to their country. They want to be good citizens, all of that. But they recognize when they bought into the gospel, when they received the gospel for themselves, they recognized as they read their Bible for the first time, like we read our Bible for the first time, I read my Bible for the first time, and I underlined all the blessings. Didn't you? Because I expect blessings from God, because now I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm being honest here. He likes to be transparent. I can do the same. I, I, I like claiming the blessings. These people, they read the scripture, and many of them, they saw all the persecution, all the suffering, all the challenges, all the difficulties that are brought upon them, not because of anything they have done as a threat, but because who they are perceived to be as a threat. As we read through the epistles especially in the book of Acts, because that's where we get church history, we get the principles in the Old Testament with Israel, but we see it primarily in the New Testament. As you read, and you read about the afflictions and persecutions that the church corporately, not just individuals, but corporately, that the church endured, the more they are afflicted, the more they prosper and grow. Maybe not statistically, but in terms of the scars that they receive are the things that give God the most glory. Amen? And we live in a greenhouse. Have you ever bought a plant out of a greenhouse? It's not really very strong, is it? Looks pretty. Looks lovely. But when you put it in the ground and the bugs start eating it and the rains come and the leaves fall apart and all that, you know, the plant doesn't look good, but that's the plant that bears fruit. Amen? Well, it's the same picture of the church. In China, there are people that I know that have been put in jail strictly because of their faith. In India... There are provinces in India where the police, the militant Hindu police, are going to villages where there are churches and burning the buildings down with the people in them. And the police are not being punished for that. And yet I have, I have a friend who has 45 Calvary Chapel churches in one province. He's lost pastors, kind of like in Sudan, and more people are wanting to serve the Lord and worship the Lord in that culture rather than get out of that culture. Isn't that amazing? It happens around the world. And the reality, and you can read all kinds of magazines and stories, go to Voice of the Martyrs, you get magazines, you get newsletters, you can, you can see that. We live in a very, very soft area in the, in the world, don't we? And I'm not concerned about that aspect of it. But what do we do as the American church reading the Bible and wanting to go to heaven with all the benefits and hear well done 
and not take, as your pastor said, the required course. <laughs> well, let's see what the scripture has to say, okay? And I'm just going to read some scripture with you because it's already time to leave. I'm going to take 10 minutes, more or less, probably more. I'll, I'll try not to take too much time because I know it's Memorial Holiday and all. But I'd like you to turn with me through your Bibles. We'll look at some scriptures, not all of them that we could. I've got hours worth of stuff here. And you can think of more because you're well taught. If, and if you, don't, if you don't take notes, I'm going to ask you, be a Berean, write these scriptures down so that you can go back and meditate on them in context. Because I'm going to yank something out that we know what it means, but it means more when we understand the context surrounding it. So context is king, and I don't have time to establish the context because I want to give you some, some things to think about. Not what I say, but what the Word of God says to the church corporately, not just as individuals, and how they are to function in their community, whether it is Rome underground, or whether it is Kunming China underground, or whether it is India, or whether it is Harrisburg. This is Harrisburg, right? Okay. I want to make sure it's... Uh, proper. Proper. Okay. All right. That's West Shore, East Shore. I don't know anything. I don't know how it all works. Just, just, just let me know where the Home Depot is and I can find my way around. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. Um, I have so much, I want to I, I just stop at a few. Okay, And I'll give you some other scriptures that we won't turn to. Either your pastor has referred to them already because he knew what I was going to share, or, uh, or you can think of others. And, and let this be something to meditate on through the week as you prepare for your teaching in 2 Thessalonians, okay? I want to, I want to dovetail and, and uh, support what your pastor is doing. We'll just start in the New Testament in Matthew's Gospel. <laughs> Crazy. It's, be, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. You know the, you know the surrounding environment of it. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to them as individuals. But he's also laying down a great deal of doctrine, a great deal of understanding about the church corporately. Jesus does that even before the church is formed because the church you and I know was formed in Acts chapter 2. After Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit descended and, and dwelt upon and overflowed all of the disciples who were gathered, and that's when the church began. But even before then, as believers, as born-again believers, we can read the words of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we can see him preparing them for things they didn't know about, but we can see what Jesus was doing because we're on the other side of the cross and the resurrection. Amen? Amen. So, I don't want to take anything out of its context or misstate it, but we want to read this portion of Scripture, all that we're looking at, with the idea of how Jesus is speaking to the church in our last days. And in chapter 5, he, give, he begins with the blesseds. You know, the uh, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Notice with me verse 10. Because up until then, I think it would be really nice. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, for theirs is. This is kind of like required. This is kind of like expected. 
persecuted for righteousness sake, not just individually, but I think corporately also. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven, the view of the Christ to come. Great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Every generation has had darkness trying to dispel light. <laughs> Individually, yes. Corporately, absolutely. And all the more as we see the last days approaching. So um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. I'm going to skip most of the Gospels only because I'm going to get to the letters. Let's take a look at John chapter 16. Your pastor's already quoted it. But remember once again that John chapter 14, 13 through 17 is the night that Jesus was betrayed. And he loved his disciples. He loved them right to the end. And for him, the end was coming, and the beginning was starting for them, and he will introduce them to the person of the Holy Spirit. He'll introduce them to the fact, once again, that he's coming. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Talks about the Holy Spirit, talks about the work that he's going to do as he, as he leaves, and it's to your advantage that I leave. My peace I leave with you. Peace, peace, peace. Chapter 16. Indeed, the hour is coming, verse 32. Yes, has now come. You will be scattered, each to his own. You will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone. My Father is with me. These things, verse 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Anybody here want peace? We talked about it. Your, your pastor started with it, grace and peace. He quoted the last half of this. In this world, you will have tribulation. But here's the context. I come to give you peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Corporately, not just individually. But be of good cheer because why? I have overcome the world. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Um, I'm going to skip the Thessalonians references that I had because your pastor has re referred to it, and you'll, I'm sure he will over the weeks ahead. But let's, let's take a look at the letters to Timothy for a moment. 2 Timothy. If you know anything about Timothy and 2 Timothy, um, Timothy traveled with Paul for some 20 years. He served alongside of him in many, many ways. Early in his ministry, Timothy's, he was the messenger and the minister to Thessalonica after Paul had, uh, had, had left, after that uh, short time he was there. And Paul writes to Timothy several letters. The first one is pastoral, uh, how, how to function as the leader or a minister in the church. Second Timothy, on the other hand, while it is called a pastoral epistle, I think it's more accurately described as a disciple's epistle. Because it's not just for the pastor. And it's not just for the church as it functions. It's for every one of us who want to go beyond simply believing in Christ and putting it in a safety deposit box like it's something we're going to get in the future and starting to live it now as being an influence in other people's lives. And as you read 2 Timothy, you and I know that Paul always will tell Timothy and remind Timothy, follow me. But understand, I had a lot of suffering, and you will too. 
And that suffering is not brought on by sin. It's not because I'm obnoxious. It's not because I'm missing the mark. It's because we corporately are a threat to those who are in darkness and expect it because it's normal. And Paul gives a promise. You like the promises of God? I do. Don't you? Well, here, let me give you a promise. Chapter 3. Verse 12. And I'm taking it right out of context. So you have to read actually chapters, verses 10 to 17 to get the context. But here's what he says. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Who's that? That you? That me? Well, here's the promise. You will suffer persecution. Ooh. I wish I had white out. <laughs> I don't like that promise. I don't like that promise. First Peter. I do have to finish, I know. But I, I, well, but I, what my hope is, I've, I've got a ton of references and you could come up with more. What my hope is, is that this testimony of the church through the word of God will be for you something to meditate on, to talk about, and to recognize as part of our calling. First Peter chapter 1. Peter is writing to those who have been scattered uh, throughout modern-day Turkey. Um, he's not just writing to individuals. These are going to the pilgrims, but they are those who gather together and letters are being circulated, as you know. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds a lot like Paul. Who according to his abundant grace, abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Hallelujah. Period. No. Comma. You who are kept by the power of God. Hallelujah. Period. No, read on. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be re revealed in the last time. Hallelujah. Read on. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, afflictions, distresses, persecutions. For what purpose? that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he goes on through verse 9. Our faith is to be tested. Personally and corporately. You guys are, as a corporation, as a, as a, as a corporate body, trying to function in a society. <laughs> right? And there is opposition, is there not? But there's also opportunity for God to be glorified in the midst of what we would call persecution. And the police aren't at the door to shoot our, your pastor. But there are those that would like to see the church not fulfill its function. Amen? And we need to recognize this is just the way it is. It's common. It's expected. Verse, chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Beloved, verse 12, beloved, please do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, 
as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. He suffered, you're suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. CCH, don't think it's strange concerning the fact that the authorities aren't really happy about what you want to do and where you want to go and how you want to serve the Lord. But rejoice, even in the midst of the afflictions and persecutions, because when the victory is given, guess who gets the glory? Your attorney? Your pastor? You're so smart, you outsmarted the enemy. No, who gets the glory? The Lord gets the glory. Amen? I have so much more. Just a promise from Revelation chapter 2. You know, there are two churches in, Reve in the book of Revelation out of the seven that were commended by the Lord and not corrected. And we know that these are actual places, but we also know it speaks to the church and the condition of the church today also. And that church is the church of Philadelphia, where we are commended for our faithfulness, even though we are small. And he says, hang on, hold on, because uh, there's a, a reward waiting for you. I like that, don't you? Well, there's another church called the Church of Smyrna, and the Church of Smyrna is known as the Suffering Church. And here's what Jesus says, verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. Now, he's talking about physical. He's talking about difficulties. We may not relate to that so much as others in the world, but uh, we recognize that our hope and our faith comes through this tribulation. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Back to Thessalonica. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that many you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death. I have two friends in China that I met right around the Olympics, so that would have been 2008. One man spent seven years in jail and finally was put to death. Finally died. He lost 70 pounds and just his body expired. What was the reason he was put in jail without a trial? He wasn't handing out pamphlets. He wasn't marching against the enemy. He had 15 people that met in his apartment in Beijing, a city of an area of 30 million people, not a threat to anybody. But he was perceived to be a threat. And some local official took advantage of what he could do. Doesn't happen to everybody all the time. But they came in, they dispersed them, made everybody leave the city except the pastor. They put him in jail and said, we'll deal with you later. Seven years later, he went on to be with the Lord. That's reality. Uh, Lord, I don't want that to happen here. I don't think Matt can make it seven years. <laughs> right? But, but the heart of the enemy is the same everywhere, no matter how much oppression is taken and given. Right? So here's what the promise is. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And Paul talks about the crown of life. I look forward to that. Two more places and we'll be dismissed or have the worship team come up. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You probably can quote it. You're well taught by the Lord in this. 
after Hebrews chapter 11 is written, where you read of all the, 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 the hall of faith <laughs> that we read about, the Old Testament saints, all of whom lived for the Lord and suffered as a result of it, he tells us, if I can find Hebrews in my new Bible, he tells us, at the end of chapter 11, these all having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise, the one that we have, God having provided something better for us that they should be made perfect apart from us. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, including my friend, Brother Chow, who died in the China prison, including Paul, who was beheaded, including Peter, who was, upside, who was crucified upside down, including all of the Fox's Book of Martyrs that we know about and the multitudes we don't know by name, those two nameless young men that went to the northern part of Burma to encourage the saints and were put to death, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and that weight can be the world we live in and the, our holding on to it, the comforts of it, and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us with endurance run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Hallelujah. Is God good? One more portion of scripture and then we'll stand for a song of worship. Thank you for being patient. And I'm blessed that your pastor would ask me to share when he's just coming back because he's full, isn't he? You guys are in for a treat in the weeks ahead, Lord willing. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, I'm just remembering what your pastor said. Verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must, corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of the sin is the law, but thanks be to God. Can't say that without a smile on your face. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So here's what he says, do. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. When the author wrote Psalm 46, the enemies, the Assyrian army, was surrounding Jerusalem with 185,000 of, of the worst mercenaries that the world has ever known, who tortured the people that they took captive. And Jerusalem had no hope. 
running out of water, running out of food. They look out over the wall, over the wall every day, and they see the enemies mocking the God of Israel because our God, Shennacherib's God, has never lost a battle. You guys are toast. In Isaiah and Hezekiah, you can read about it in 2 Kings. You can read about it in Isaiah. You can read about it in Psalm 46, 47, and 48. We know what happened. Just at the break of dawn, just at exactly the right time, in one night, one angel wiped out the most powerful army on the face of the earth at that time. 185,000 of the enemy wiped out at the break of dawn, and nobody in Israel had to lift a finger. God did it. Is God able to do that again? Will he do that again? Oh, yeah. Read the end of the time of tribulation. Is he able to do that in our life today and now? Yes. Because the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is with us. The writer writes that twice in Psalm 46. You know what he says after that? Selah. You know what Selah means? It means meditate on this. You know what else it means? What do you think about that? <laughs> the enemy's surrounding us. But our God is with us. What do you think about that? Hallelujah. Amen? Amen? Let's stand and worship the Lord. Father, thank you. I hope and pray that uh, somehow, by your Holy Spirit, you have knit all this together and hopefully encouraged us. And um, this is not an announcement, but um, uh, it's something I'm, I was supposed to say out in the foyer is uh, a table with, uh, with free money, Chinese money. Um, take it. Keep it, put it on your refrigerator, put it in your Bible and use it as a bookmark and pray for, pray for China and the persecuted peoples around the world. And who knows, maybe in a year you can use that money to buy gasoline here. I don't know. But, but use it as a prayer card and not just for China, please, but for those around the world who are facing affliction and persecution. And pray for CCH because it's, here, it's coming here too. It is here now. Let's be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in him. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.